0: everyone and welcome to episode 183 of Final Fantasy Union. I am your host Daryl and today I am going to be talking all about fan theories and the wider lore that comes with them. As you probably guessed, that means I'm by myself today. Unfortunately, Lauren is not able to join because we have a very strict schedule and it meant the stars didn't align this week, unfortunately. But I'm going to try my best and the feedback from the last episode I did by myself seemed pretty positive. So hopefully it ends up being a positive experience for you guys again listening. Um, I'm going to try my best. Uh, It's a slightly... More difficult topic this time because last time I had statistics to go with, it was much more relevant and current, whereas this time I'm talking about fan theories and the wider lore and whether or not they're a good idea, uh, how the creators interact with them and then end up using them in some cases and I guess how they come to be because especially with Final Fantasy, some of them are kind of strange and um, yeah, there's there's reasons as to why that happened. Anyway, so we're going to get onto that in a bit, but uh, for you new folks who are listening for the first time, Final Fantasy Union is part of a podcast series called Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts Union, and it's presented by the Gaming Union Network. We have a new show every Tuesday working in rotation with Kingdom Hearts Union, and we come out on iTunes as well as FinalFantasyUnion.com, and we're also now on Spotify if you want to listen to us on there. So, we're now going to do some shout-outs for our Patreon supporters, and this is for everyone who has pledged $2.50 or more per episode. Starting off with Blue Machine at Blue Machine. Lewis James, Nahi Klabawi, Barry Norton at Nortron Zero, Chris Morales, Eric Decker at Choco Taco, Michael Graham, Thorin Bullen at Massacre23, Zach Duranto at ZDuranto58, Chris Pope at DrPop181, Muhammad Kayum. Rachel Casterton at Erby Ray, Mike Shirley Donnelly at Curious Quail, Zelda Clone at Apes Type Novels, Darren Matthews at Doomster73, Joseph Robertson at Pokemon Trainer J, Keith Field at The Mighty Keith, Billy Jackson at Underscore Billy Jackson, Mike, Ishbel Ayala at Red Peppers, Vitanitas, Rob Porter at Squirty Bertie One, Tobias Cappy at The Tobias Kepi, Tori Patrick, Miles Ribbons, and last but not least, David Calro. Thank you all so much for your support, guys. It's so appreciated. All right, so before we jump onto our main topic, I just wanted to talk about something else really quickly, as in the next two weeks, uh, at some point during the next two weeks, we are going to be putting out a survey across all our channels. And it's really just to understand how you guys feel about Final Fantasy Union these days. Um, Obviously, it's changed a lot in the last few years. The YouTube channel is growing very, very quickly. The podcast has obviously been going for a very long time and uh, so is the website and that's obviously much more focused on news than it was in the past. And so this survey is really just to understand um, what you actually enjoy about what we do and to help us determine where we should focus our efforts more. Uh, obviously Lauren and I have gone through a very big change recently and uh, time is a bit more sparse maybe than it was before, especially in the next couple of months as we try to get used to the new scenario that we are facing. Um, so we just want really uh, a kind of a steer from you guys about where we should focus our efforts and where our time is best spent essentially. So yeah, please be sure to look out for that survey within the next two weeks Um, it will be put out across all the social channels and on the website as well so yeah you shouldn't miss it if you're paying attention to us anyway so our main topic today is about fan theories and the effect they have on the wider lore. now this is obviously something that's been going on for a very long time probably since you know since the games were conceived people have been coming up with their own theories to try and maybe fill in gaps or to try and understand different interpretations of the story that potentially weren't what we were supposed to see on face value um and i've got some really good examples here for you i think probably the one that got the most traction in recent times was the school is dead theory this was an extremely detailed and long theory that was created that basically suggested that at the end of Disc One, when Squall gets the icicle from India through his shoulder, that he actually dies at that point, and everything that takes place um, afterwards is some kind of weird dream, and and uh, which is why it starts to get a bit crazy. Um, they pointed at things like you know before that happened, uh, you're never aware of things like Norg and Moombers. Everything is much more clear cut, and uh, it's it's an interesting theory. It's has some uh elements to it that didn't hold up too well and obviously uh, i think last year was that Katarze even said that you know it's not remotely true um but he did also say that he liked the theory so that's an interesting aspect to it um other examples are obviously that rinawa is Ultimacia; they have very similar character models um there's other theories with the other games as well such as that there was never Sephiroth, a Genova, they didn't exist, and um, they were just another further figment of Cloud's imagination, and that he was responsible for everything. Another is that Aerith can be revived. Um, there's others relating to uh, Seymour and her, his mother about why she basically gave her own life when he was so young. Um, the link between Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy X. And even more recently with Final Fantasy 15, there's been plenty of theories that have been rolling around, especially related to Prompto, because there was, within the main game, there was a lot of ambiguity around where he was from, Um, obviously he was uh, adopted at a young age, but there were parts of the game, uh, such as with the Naga, where there's allusions that... Like, she could be his mother. Um, there were other theories uh, relating to the fact that Loki, one of the main uh, generals within the Niflheim Empire, is actually his brother. So there's there's loads of theories that have been kind of planted around over and, and even, like, some of the more blatant ones uh, with regards to Final Fantasy XV's ending, because it was left very ambiguous. And uh, during initial waves of interviews... Uh, Tabata was kind of saying it was a choose your own ending thing where they left it ambiguous on purpose so that the fans could try and establish in their minds whether or not they thought it had gone one way or another way and um, they've kind of said which way it's gone now so it they kind of removed the, the fan theory aspect of that but I think the interesting thing about all this is that it does create wider discussion and um, I think some people get very upset about it because it it's changing their interpretation of the story but i think it's it shows a, a, like a really high degree of creativity to especially with like the school's dead theory the the level of detail uh, they came they 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 went into to come up with that theory was was insane but i guess like i think when these things happen obviously you could look at um hollywood and and books as well like movies and these kind of things happen quite a lot uh, especially with uh, like Chris Nolan for example always leaves cliffs hangers and a lot of the things he does in his films is very intentional and the weird thing is that with Final Fantasy games and I don't know if this is a, a, a wider trend with video games in general but I feel as though with when it comes to Final Fantasy the the areas where these fan theories kind of crop up from they, they're never intentional and I, I just feel like it's, it's something that's uh, maybe they've uh, left something in there by accident or they just didn't really think something through. It never seems to me, and I could be doing them a massive, massive disservice here, but it, I've never felt as though any of these theories that have kind of cropped up have been intentional. Like the the writers have never thought, oh, we could maybe like throw them a red herring here or put them on a wild goose chase and, and maybe start getting them thinking about this or, or let's let's leave it like this and, and see what happens. Like I think it's rarely ever a case that that's actually been done on purpose and even with uh, final fantasy 15's one they decided that oh um you know we've been getting a lot of commentary about the fact that we don't really know what the ending means so they were just like well let's just give them an ending then that actually has meaning and can make some people happy which i think was a bit of a cop out but that's a story for another time um i think also when it comes to uh, some of the games there are it's down to miscommunication I mean with Final Fantasy XV some of the, the theories that ended up cropping up were just through the different teams really not talking to each other you know there was one uh, that we covered last year about Ravis um, and why he looks completely different in Kingsglaive than he does in the main game and someone had come up with a very elaborate theory around why that wasn't like when you actually run through it it's the the elements they're looking at It's it's like you know Ravus's eye colours are different in the main game than they are Kingsglave. he wears different clothing, he's got different coloured hair, his facial features have changed slightly, and we're not just talking about the, the fact that obviously the character model within the film and within the game, they're going to be different because it's different levels of rendering and everything but we're actually talking about the concept art, the concept art for Ravus in Kingsglave and Ravus in the film are different, the characters look different, um, and I you know I'd like to think that that was an intentional move that they had all this really detailed backstory on Ravis and why he ended up being different in the game, but i just I don't think that that's the case. I think it was accidental but but either way, so let's just ignore the fact that it's probably never intentional, and that these things just kind of crop up um what What is the benefit to these fan theories? Aside from the fact that it it keeps people engaged. And I mean, that is a a really big aspect to it. Keeping the fans engaged. The fact that there's people still talking about Final Fantasy VIII in such, I guess, um, expansive ways. Like, can you think of any other game series where there are so many theories rolling around about a game? Especially, I mean, obviously Final Fantasy VIII did have the whole... Time travel aspect to it, um, the, with time manipulations and everything. So, Renaro and um there is a, a lot of the potential around that uh, in terms of them being the same people and the how everything is possible, how it all relates to each other. Um, the fact that that school could very well be dead again, as there's, there's weird stuff that happens, especially during the ending cutscene with when time is compressing. Um, but I, I think, yeah, like the fact that the fact that they've been able to craft a story whether intentional or not with Final Fantasy VIII that has all of these aspects then can continue to be discussed I think that's a really positive thing obviously if it's intentional it's even better um, and I say it's not intentional because generally when they're asked about it it's it's not something that it, they're forthcoming with um, and uh, I, if anything they've actually said that they, they monitor the fan theories and it gives them ideas for things they can do moving forward or they can use them to, to fill in gaps around what happens. An an example here, I, I have to assume went this way was with Red 13. So in uh, Final Fantasy VII, Red 13 only has one eye. And I think from the in game model, it's quite hard to see that. But if you look at the concept art for Red 13, he only has one eye. But when he appeared in Before Crisis, he had two eyes. And everyone was like, well, how, how did that happen? uh because it's never explained anywhere within the story how he lost an eye because in Final Fantasy 7 you just meet him and he doesn't have it so unless it was something to do with character progression there was no real reason for them to actually establish why that happened within the game um and obviously when it came to before crisis again intentional or not I don't know they gave him an eye uh or two eyes I should say um and then The fan fan theory started going around that, well, the most logical reason as to why that would happen is that we know that Red Thirteen was kidnapped by Shinra. We know that Professor Hojo was trying to do experimentation on him. Uh, Potentially Hojo did something with it. And then in the Ultimania that released on the 10th anniversary for Final Fantasy VII, they put in there that, yes, Hojo removed his eye. So, you know, is, is that coincidental that people would come up to theory and then the Square Enix would publish a book later that says, yeah, you know, that's true. Another one was uh, with Kuja, for example, um, that uh, the fact that he was kind of maniacal and people theorized that it must have been because he didn't have a childhood he was born an adult and and him playing out the way he did is is essentially the fact that it's him showing his immaturity and again that then materialized in the Ultimania um so and and, uh, even the Jim has said uh more recently that he he keeps an eye on on fan theories because yeah like they they craft stories in certain ways and they Obviously are trying to do the best job they can, and maybe they're not aware of of things they've left out or or loose ends that they haven't covered off and Then when they start seeing well i mean it, there's a team of them let's say it's it's like a, i don't know a team of four or five people working on the scenario in different guises, and obviously there's the wider team who are playing the game and 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 trying to interpret it the best as they can, but then their game's going to be shipped out to millions and millions of people. And uh, those people are going to have their own interpretations. Some of them will be much more creative than others. And uh, Najima is saying that he likes to uh, keep abreast of the wider theories that crop up from the fans. Uh, and And yeah, some of them, they do incorporate into future works where they think it makes sense. And why shouldn't they? I mean... If you can take inspiration or, or um, leverage things that are good, why wouldn't you do so? In many ways, I think it's quite healthy for them to do that. It shows that they are paying attention. It shows they are interested in developing the characters. And uh, yeah, if they if they see some good ideas that the fans have kind of put out there for general consumption, uh, there's nothing to say they're not going to try and integrate them in any way. And, and you know, as we had with uh, Kataze last year when he did the interview with, uh, I think it was the Edamame Arcade Channel um, where they were running through, no, it was uh, Kotaku, I think it was, where they were running through uh, popular fan theories and whether or not they're true. Um, he, with the school is dead one, he said, yeah, he likes the, he likes the sound of that. And if they d- ever did a Final Fantasy VIII remake, that it's something that he might potentially look to incorporate within the game. I don't know how he would do that, um, but he was very uh, the opposite when it came to Renora and Ultimacia. He said, "No, that's not true. I'm not interested in it. It's not even feasible." Which is, you know, it's it, the, the the difference in uh, opinion from him between the two theories was actually really interesting to see because. You know, there is there is some merit, clearly, to the School of Death theory. It's not something that they ever envisioned happening or seeing. They didn't craft that intentionally into the story. But there is the potential for it to exist. And it's something that they would be willing to explore for whatever reason. Um, it's it, I think it's just such an interesting topic. And you know there's always the potential for for things to happen when it comes to fan theories you know uh, if lauren was here i'm sure she would talk about the fact that um you know fan fiction has a very prominent place and and sometimes fan fiction can even come on to be something that's even larger than the 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 property it was it came from um i'm sure that there are many um, I'm, I'm, this is potentially a very bold statement, but there has to be uh, video games that have been written based on, on fan fiction that have become prominent. I can't think of any examples at the top of my head because it's not something I've really ever looked into, but... There has to be um, people that were playing these games when they were younger, started to use them as inspiration for their own storytelling and own story writing practice, and then maybe they ended up using those ideas to create something of their own that has gone on to be to 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 do something with its own right. That has to be the case because it happened. It happens elsewhere, and you know that's one of the, the easiest ways to to learn to. To try and copy what someone else has to do to replicate, and then once you become confident with that, then you start going on and and building things out in another way, and putting your own stamp on things. That has to happen with this. Um, but but when it comes to, to to back to the Final Fantasy aspect of things, I think it's incredibly interesting, healthy. I mean, um, we've seen on YouTube that the the theory videos that came out that were coming out for Final Fantasy fifteen beforehand people were absolutely going crazy around those. And even the ones that came out post-launch, the Pitios Ruins Theory and everything that came into that, there was a ridiculously huge thread on Reddit about everything that the Pitios Ruins meant, the symbolism behind it, um, and there were so many different aspects to it. And yeah, some of the things were maybe a bit far-fetched. Some of them were incredibly logical. And from what I believe... Um, the team have even come out and uh and validated some of the theory, and um they 've incorporated that into some of the d l. c which again just shows you that you know there is always a potential that um that you 're going beyond what the creators intended, but that doesn 't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. yeah, some of the theories that come up are going to be quite outlandish um we now know for example that the and this isn't a spoilers or anything uh that the naga theory for a prompto um is pretty much defunct um and there's probably no way that the loki theory regarding the prompto is true either um but you know that that doesn't mean it's not exciting for people to come up with these and and the naga theory for example again people wanted to wanted to to latch onto that they wanted to believe some aspect of it and I don't know whether that's more of a, a damning indictment of the story itself from the sense that people didn't feel as though Prompto was a developed enough character within the game and they were therefore searching for more information about this character because they wanted more backstory. And that could very much be the case. You know, I think with Final Fantasy fifteen, especially, that was something the game suffered from. There wasn't this kind of fleshing out of the characters, there was no wider story and so anything that people could latch onto that maybe gave a bit more substance that that was great for them and it helps to enrich the story i mean we did videos afterwards trying to um talk about the importance of ravis and, and luna freya within the story and try to um really highlight the actions that they took how they influenced proceedings and to try and give them a bit more substance and you know, people really, really enjoyed that kind of content because, again, it it helps to further the discussion about the games. It helps to bring um, new light to things that potentially you hadn't seen before. And I think, yeah, it's, it's a it's a positive thing. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know whether or not you guys listening to this now think this is maybe a weird topic to be discussing. I think maybe it would have been better if Lauren was here as well to discuss it with me. But either way, I think, um, you know, it's... It, Basically, what I'm trying to say is that fan theories are are really healthy. Yeah, some of them do go a bit too far. But I think that when it comes to people who are engaged with a property, they really fall in love with the story and the characters and they want to do something further. It's no different from fan art where people try to put their own spin on characters. They will try to build relationships between characters that potentially weren't there within the main, within the main story. And... Uh, you know it's just helping people to create an even even more deep fantasy um, than the one potentially they were given and there's no, i can't see anything wrong with that um but yeah so i think that's that's pretty much the discussion topic uh for this episode i appreciate that it's probably a bit shorter than the last one i did by myself but yeah it's not necessarily an easy topic I don't have yeah I don't have tons of statistics to run around um, I mean I could talk about the fact that school is dead theory has been shared literally everywhere loads of people know about it um, and you know it's the same with other theories like the Final Fantasy 7 and 10 worlds being connected extremely popular theory um, and well there's also the theories that they're all connected there's even wider ones about Gilgamesh uh, a mega weapon um, being sorry Omega uh, being um interdimensional creatures that are the same in every single game. Um there so, there's so many theories out there especially relating to Final Fantasy because every game is separate and people want to believe that it's all connected. Every single world is connected with Final Fantasy 7 and 10, the 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 fact that they made that kind of small comment within the ultimedia really set people off and they started theorizing about how it could be possible and all this stuff and um and that's great. Again it further the discussion gets more people interested in the games. But yeah, so that that's pretty much the topic. Um I'm now gonna go onto the music segment, potentially a bit earlier, but there's a reason why. And it's because I'm gonna talk about the music for a little bit. Uh no, we don't usually spend too much time talking about the music segments per se. Um but I I think in this case I, I wanted to talk a bit more about music. So um the music for this episode is from Final Fantasy II uh and it's an arrangement of town th- the town theme which I absolutely adore. Uh if you haven't played Final Fantasy II, then at least go and listen to the town theme. It's it's so well crafted. It's like the I was actually just listening to uh the interview that um a new interview with the Edamame RK channel. Where they had Kitazе, Uematsu, and Sakaguchi on, and they were talking about Final Fantasy VII, and also kind of the conception of things and how it used to be uh, back in the olden days, I guess before Katarze was even there. And then they were talking about uh, Final Fantasy VII and how um, when uh, Uematsu was writing the opening bombing mission, uh, Sakaguchi flew over from Hawaii to see how the music worked with the um, with the cutscenes and everything, and and he basically just the only feedback he gave was. It's very good. And then that was it. Um, But Uematsu was saying that in the earlier days when they were working on Final Fantasy 1 and 2, it was a very different experience. And Sakaguchi was heavily involved in everything that Uematsu did. He was very particular about the type of music that he wanted in there. Um, And he basically micromanaged Uematsu to make sure that everything he did was fine. And after he was able to do that for two games, then he basically just took, um, took the... Stepped away and let to do his thing, and that's how they worked for the next X amount of years. But yeah, with Final Fantasy 2, um, the music for the game is, is, is very, very good. Obviously, back in those days, it was written for the NES, not the best sound chip in the world. And the thing I love about this music, and I'm sure I've said it before, is that I always... I have to think that when they were writing the music for um, those really old systems, obviously they had a very limited soundscape that they could use. Um, but I always like to think that in their minds they were envisioning how it, they actually wanted it to sound. Like if they had a full orchestra or if they had all these synthesizers and instruments that they could use, how would I really want this to sound? And then how do I cru- how do I like crush this down to come out on this crappy sound card? Uh, which is just nothing that anyone ever wants to hear um and like i think with especially with final fantasy one two and three the fact that uematsu was able to create such memorable pieces of music uh with such limited sounds that then if you listen to them now in like the new guises like obviously even with the original ones you've got the Origins soundtrack there's the dawn of Souls soundtrack where they basically reimagined the music from the games and it sounds so much better they had so many more rich layers uh harmonies melodies um and yeah so this this arrangement is is the town theme um it's by uh, a guy called Dale north and it's from an a really old cd so i was i was i i spent ages trying to find music for episodes these days Because there just doesn't seem to be as many people arranging music, uh, especially for Final Fantasy games anymore. And if anything, it's it's just people playing other people's arrangements now. Um, So there's a lot of people that have uh, the new channels that are coming up where they're playing the piano collections or the guitar arrangements. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I think it's amazing. and And there's some incredibly talented people out there um it's it's more that obviously for for this specific segment i like to try and find people who are arranging the music themselves coming with new ways of enhancing the experience that we've we've heard in the games for many years um and so i for this one i actually went back in time back in time to a a time before the likes of uh, youtube and and the the wider arranging community i think it's even a time before oc remix um so this is uh, an arrangement that was from a Group that called themselves Project Project Majestic Mix, and uh, they had uh, an, an, an actually before they did PMM, they actually did a fully orchestrated album with the Hollywood Symphony Orchestra, where they did loads of different tracks from Final Fantasy, uh, Past and Present. Um, yeah, so uh, PMM, the Gold Edition, uh, has loads of different types of arrangements on it. There's loads of vocal harmonies. There's lots of different or uh, instrumentation. Um, not too much in the way of electronic music. There are bits, but they saved uh, those really for one of their latter albums, which was called Square Dance. Uh, so this is uh, a really, really nice arrangement, and I really hope you guys enjoy listening to it. But yeah, so um, with that out of the way, I think it's time to move on to our outro. Because A... I am flying solo this time, and B, I'm also quite sick, and I'm having to take quite a lot of pauses here to cough, which hopefully won't make it into the final edit of the show, but um, I'm getting to the point where it's actually becoming quite difficult for me to talk without intermissions happening very regularly. So yeah, um, the next episode of Final Fantasy Union is scheduled to come out on the 13th of November. Be sure to subscribe to Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts Union on the iTunes store, If you just search for Final Fantasy, we are there, or thereabouts. And of course, if you haven't subscribed to us on YouTube yet, please do so. Uh, We put up some really interesting content. We've actually just done a small video series about the evolution of the Four Fiends across Final Fantasy 1 through 15. Uh, And it's looking potentially in a lot more detail than I think a lot of people expected because obviously the first game had the Four Fiends, Lich, Kraken, Marilith, and Tiamat. Um, and then, obviously, those guys appeared again in Final Fantasy IX. They were also the Archfiends in Final Fantasy IV, which were a tribute to the original Four Fiends. Um, but they're actually, the hallmarks of the Four Fiends are seen in pretty much every single main Final Fantasy game, with the exception of Final Fantasy XIII, which doesn't really have anything around the Four Fiends. Um, but I'd say in, in some ways they actually ditched a lot of the kind of classic Final Fantasy stuff for that game anyway. Um, but yeah, pretty much every other game in the franchise, uh, and even a lot of the spin offs as well, have some interpretation of the Four Fiends. So if you want to learn more about the Four Fiends and how they've been represented across all of the different games, then go check those videos out. You can, of course, catch all of the latest Final Fantasy news on the website, FinalFantasyNews.com, uh, where we have our news coverage provided by Braden but it's actually been pretty barren in the last couple of weeks. There's not really much going on from the perspective of Square Enix. Maybe they got a bit excited with the whole announcement of everything coming to Xbox One and Switch and uh, have decided to take a bit of a break. Uh, Obviously, Kingdom Hearts 3 is coming out in the next couple of months as well, so it kind of makes sense. But from our perspective, it's a bit sad that there's not really much going on. There's just a few additions to Dissidia NT, and uh, that's pretty much it really with the Grazga Final Fantasy at the moment. Of course, if you enjoy what we do with the podcast, please be sure to check out our Patreon, uh, patreon.com forward slash Union. Um, there are different tiers you've got on there, so um, one of the main things you can get from that is obviously being able to come on the episode and uh, take part in a QA and a session. I think with the Kingdom Hearts uh, episodes, they actually go a bit more full on. Um, so yeah, there's always the opportunity for you to do that. But yeah, with... Uh, with all that, I think uh, it's time for me to say goodbye. So this is Daryl saying goodbye. This has been a Final Fantasy Union.com production. Blah, 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 blah.